Why are they out of touch? Why don't they seem to understand what we're going through? We'll talk about that tonight. We'll talk about Carol Roth and inflation. We'll talk to Dave Reboy about Russia, Ukraine, all that and much more coming up on I'm Right. Welcome to I'm Right. It's time to talk about the economy. And before we get there, just, just pause. Take the whole economy thing and just put it right in your back pocket. Because we're going to talk about how disconnected they seem to be, the people who lead the country and us. Now, why? Well, we, as a family, the Kelly family, we are adamant about trying to be grateful about things. Trying to always have a grateful heart. And we look at our kids. We want our kids to have a grateful heart, too. Now, what does that mean? Whatever you have, however you're doing, you're grateful for it. You're grateful on some level. So I think about that with our kids. We think about it with our kids all the time. I mean, they're not rich, obviously, but they have a pantry full of food, Kraft mac and cheese, but still they've got a pantry full of food. No problem there. they got clothes on their back. Got a bunch of toys, thanks to the grandparents. But the, right? So how will a kid like that ever understand what other kids go through? How other kids around the world live? And so we had a church in our area. They did something that was really cool. They went out and built this display. What was the display? It, it took maybe half, half the size of a football field. But they took some of the poorest countries in the world, and they built exact replicas of how families, the poor families, live in those countries. I'm talking sheet metal huts. Uh, uh, just a bucket is the child's only toy. You have the bed. Whose bed, you ask? Oh, that's the family bed. They all pile on the thing, and it ain't very big. You know, it's... They set this thing up so people could go walk through. And we drove our kids right down there and made them walk through. Look at this. Look at that. Playing in the dirt. Look where they sleep. Look how they live. Now, why? What's the point of that? Why do that to your kids? So they have some sort of perspective in real world, real, I mean, some way to relate to how people live in the real world. People live outside of their bubble, how other people live. You have to purposefully, purposefully seek out perspective. It doesn't just come to you. And that's why the Biden administration right now is so incredibly lost and seems so incredibly out of touch and almost cold to what's happening. I mean, you, you saw the news today. Produce, uh, uh, producer prices have rose 10%. That's the highest on record. That coincides with 7.9% inflation. These numbers for normal people, for most people, are staggering. People are already having to make adjustments. I've had people reach out to me several times that are saying, hey, Jesse, I'm on the cusp of having to quit my job because the added costs mean I can't actually, I'm losing money going to work. I'm crazy stories out there right now. Jesse, we had to cancel this. Jesse, we, we're going to have to move my mother out of the house. Jesse, I mean, insane stuff right now. Insane stuff. Well, the average gas price in this country right now is averaging over $4.31. It was just $4.17. It was $2.86 a year ago. People can't afford to live like this. They can't. And so when the Biden administration, when people like Jen Psaki speak like this, my jaw drops because I see her speak and I say to myself, what is wrong with you? 
Um, how high uh, is the administration expecting gas prices to go? I don't have a prediction from here in terms of what it could look like. In terms of how far, uh, we, you know, we still believe it will continue to go up, but we're trying to take steps we can take to mitigate that and reduce it. Go ahead. Does it seem like she cares? You see what I mean about cold? It, there's never a moment of warmth, not from Saki, not from, not from Biden, not, certainly not from Pelosi. There's never a moment. Everything is just cold. And matter of fact, oh, they're going to go up. We'll take some steps to mitigate it. It's as if they've never had a connection with the real world. They've never walked through that village. They've never talked to the truckers like this. I've never seen them. This is the worst. It's rough. It's real hard out here. I mean, the prices is, is this too much now? I spend like 500 a day and that's not a fuel, that's not a full tank. Eventually they're not gonna be able to make ends meet and they're gonna have to quit, not be able to run and that'll cut us down and we're already low on truck drivers. It's definitely making everything go up, also making products cost more because it costs more for us to ship it. For a couple of months, that gas was two dollars a gallon. People was happy. Why that jump? That everything going up. It's just not the gas price. The cigarettes going up. The food going up. Everything going up. Magdi Atia manages TA Baltimore. He says woes at the pump for truckers bleeds into his shop, where they normally. That's how real people live, but they don't seem to know, or they don't seem to care, or. Uh, this is probably the worst thing, or they get up and tell blatant lies about how they totally know what you're going through. Here's Scranton Joe telling whoppers again. I grew up in a family where the price of gas went up at the pump, gas station. We talked about it at the kitchen table. That's a blatant lie. <laughs> no, he didn't. Again, that's not only a lie, it's an easily verifiable lie. During Joe Biden's time as a child, gas prices went from 20 cents a gallon to 31 cents a gallon. But the way inflation worked at the time means Joe Biden's family actually saw gas prices go down. You see what I mean? They're so out of touch with being able to connect with normal people. Even their lies don't hold back, don't, don't hold water at all. And, and instead, instead, we get blaming Putin. We get blaming you. We get people saying it's actually good. Or we get them campaigning. The American people who are hurting right now, maybe having to work a second job, maybe, heard this one yesterday from a friend, it's kids going to work. Son's going to start working part-time after school to try to make ends meet. That's how real people are living. But the Joe Biden administration, they're so out of touch, they won't walk through that village. They're out there campaigning on the next big bill. Vision, allowing for tax credit for homeowners to... To, uh, to winterize their homes and save an average of 500 bucks a month just by having doors that don't leak, windows that don't leak, and so on. So look, let me be clear. None of this will increase inflation. 17 Nobel Prize winners in, the, in economics wrote to me saying it would ease inflationary presence. No one believes that. I mean, they really don't. 70% of Americans disprove of Biden's handling of inflation. 70% disprove of his handling of gas prices. 58% disapprove of the economic recovery. They don't, they don't have any connection at all. 
So you get up behind the microphone and you blame Vladimir Putin or you tell people the economy's doing good, you're just too stupid to understand it. Or you tell people, well, if they would just pass my massive economic bill, then inflation would go down. How are they so cold? How are they so out of touch? They've never taken a walk through that village. And it's not difficult. Get out of your bubble, leave Washington, D.C., and go spend some time talking to normal people. Normal people, but here's what's wild. It's not just that they're out of touch. It's that they don't have any desire to be in touch. You know, out of touch people oftentimes will realize, okay, maybe I'm out of touch. I, I need to make some adjustments. These, these guys don't think they have to make adjustments. They think, well, we just, haven't, we just haven't pushed these things on you yet. I mean, what was their solution? They, they wanted people to be behind the administration when it comes to gas prices and all these things. What, what are they doing? Well, they're not going out to get in touch with people. Instead, they're bringing in a bunch of TikTok influencers, 30 of them to be specific, to explain the White House plan and why it's not the White House's fault. And then they send these TikTok influencers out in the world to put out stupid videos like this. Why is gas so expensive and why is the United States inflation rate at a four-time decade high? I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7 and here's what they said. The obvious reason, we are getting out of a two-year pandemic when use goes up, price goes up. But the call is predominantly about Ukraine and Russia, so how does that relate? Russia is one of the top three producers of oil and it is actually their number one revenue source. Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade. So, with people being scared of war and limited resources, prices are bound to go up as well. For the people who can't pay $7 for a gallon of gas, there's an app called Gas Buddy that shows you the cheapest gas near you. As well as a link in my bio to donate to the misplaced refugees of Ukraine. There's an app called Gas Buddy. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. The great Carol Roth is going to join us next. My word. Look, get a weapon, get some ammunition, practice with your weapon, and spend some money on quality gear. Spend the money on quality gear. All of it, from your socks to everything else, and most definitely, your holster, your mag carrier, all of it. Northwest Retention Systems has the best gear I've ever had in my entire life. And look, it's not a mystery why. It's all custom made. Everything in there, custom made. They have the coolest designs around, but what they have is custom gear that lasts. That's the point. Every holster works day one. How's it work year three? Go to nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, and that'll get you 10% off. NWRetention.com. We'll be back. And now, second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin and gas prices. Not a joke. Okay, let's find out if that's reality. Joining me now, frequent guest Carol Roth, recovering investment banker, author of the book, The War on Small Business. Carol, you know, set gas prices aside for just a moment. We'll come back there. Inflation. I see a lot of 
what's that word they love to use? Misinformation out there about inflation from the left and the right. Joe Biden says it's all Vladimir Putin's fault. People on the right understandably say it's all Joe Biden's fault. I have tried to be very vocal about why we have inflation, but Carol, you're the smart one, not me. Would you please explain to people why we have inflation right now? It's funny, Jesse, I had a friend of mine stumble into a video of us talking and he said, oh, I, I just saw one of your videos talking about inflation and gas prices from this week and I went and looked at it and it was from June of last year. So this is not a new phenomenon that just uh, crept upon us and obviously you have kept your viewers informed about this. Um, it is sort of everybody in the administration's fault. This is the result of printing trillions and trillions of dollars by the Fed over the past several years. It's the fault of trillions and trillions of dollars in stimulus. And so Joe Biden did walk into a bad situation, but instead of changing things around, he just doubled down and made it worse. He canceled oil and gas leases and the Keystone XL pipeline. He kowtowed to the ESG folks who may, are making it difficult for capital investment in the energy sector. He decided in March of last year, when things should have been getting back to business, we had the vaccines and all that good stuff, to do the quote unquote American Rescue Plan, $1.9 trillion in stimulus. Oof. And now you're going to say something that you called stimulus is not stimulating prices. Of course it is. On top of that, all of the decisions that have then led to the disruption of the labor and supply chain, all of these things are causing inflation. And what they've done is they've made us more economically vulnerable, as well as vulnerable from a national security standpoint vis-a-vis -vis Putin. So uh, Putin's certainly making it worse, but only because our president and the administration and politicians before him have created this economic vulnerability. Carol, ESG, what do those letters mean? I, I don't understand. I mean, you might as well just call it like BS or terrorism. It can mean all different kinds of things. Uh, but it stands for environmental, social, and governance uh, actions. And so basically, this started with the global elites who decided that companies shouldn't just pursue what's best for profits and their customers, they have to have a higher purpose, which means whatever purpose um, you know, they want to push at the elite level. And those are um, basically trickling down and making it very difficult to invest in things like traditional energy sources, because you know that would be bad for the environment. Um, obviously, us producing in the U.S. cleanly is much better for the environment than shifting that production to Russia and to Saudi Arabia and other places. But, uh, you know, that doesn't fit the narrative of we need to be green. And so that has messed with the situation that we're in and is going to continue to mess with it. And it's interesting. I've been reading some headlines, um, not surprisingly, that folks like Russia have been funding some of these uh, activists, these climate activists, to try to create more dependency in areas like Europe on Russian oil. So, you know, the things that everybody is woke about and, you know, we need to be green and clean and whatnot, uh, a lot of times is unsurprisingly coming from bad actors. 
Carol, I want to ask a question that's probably a little bit complicated. It may be difficult to answer, but that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> okay, we know inflation is we know inflation is bad, right? We know we printed, as you've already elaborated, trillions we didn't have, chucked it at an economy that we stopped. All, okay, we know all that. We know all that. Where are we on the pipeline of inflation? Because I know we're not at the end of it. I know that we're not going to wake up tomorrow and whoo, praise God, that's over. I understand we have more to go. Is the worst yet to come? Are we halfway through? Are we at the just the tip phase? Where are we? <laughs> well, as we know, just the tip is a lie. So might as well go with that, Jesse. Um, no, <laughs> you know, basically, it's hard to say because so many of the policy decisions that are coming down the pike can affect what happens with inflation and also some of the decisions that um, you know, may be made could thwart inflation but also put us into a recession which is not a good outcome either so you know it could have an impact on how much you earn or it could have an impact on how much each dollar is worth and you know my guess is is probably a little bit of both some of that stagflation um, that we've talked about before where the economy stagnates but we still have high inflation. I think the likelihood, especially with the war and some of these um, disruptions, is that we will see some higher numbers in terms of the growth rate, but then you'll see, so maybe the growth rate goes to 10% headline inflation, but then it'll come back down to seven or it comes back down to six. And then everyone's going to go, oh, look, we controlled inflation. It's only at 6% now. But the thing that people don't understand is that is a growth rate that is on top of what it has already increased. So that increase that we have suffered before and even that 6% is a permanent tax on the average American. Unless we end up with a period of deflation, um, we are going to have that tax forever and ever. So at some point, the headline rate does get controlled, but that doesn't mean that it's a good scenario for our bank accounts because we've already lost that purchasing power. And if it's four or five or 6%, it's still on top of all of that. Deflation? That sounds fantastic. Carol Roth, how do we get to some deflation? I want some deflation. What would we have to do to have some deflation? <laughs> uh, well, deflation can actually be a good thing. It can come from productivity gains or technology. You know, those are good ways to help bring down prices. Um, it also can come from like people being out of work and not being able to afford anything and then the prices deflate because you know people are like well i guess i'm just not going to eat today so that would be bad deflation um and so obviously the driving forces that were set up for now are probably not thinking about good deflation uh it's probably more along the bad lines although Sometimes good deflation can be bad deflation, like we had when we basically uh, exported our jobs over to China and then brought in cheap goods for them. The good prices, the headline prices went down, so we imported deflation, but bad for all of the people who lost their jobs to people in China. Carol, the Fed is expected to raise interest rates this week. Most people don't work at the Fed. They certainly don't understand the Fed. What does that mean, the Fed's going to raise interest rates? What's that mean for the normal person? Yeah, so the Fed um, has basically been running our monetary policy, and they are partly to blame for the economic woes. So, so everything that we're talking about that they're going to do is trying to undo part of the mess that they and uh, the government hand-in-hand 
have created. And what they did over the past couple of years is they, they went in and they bought uh, treasury securities, they bought mortgage-backed securities, and they took their own target interest rate for bank-to-bank overnight lending down to 0%. And this was all a means to suppress interest rates. This meant that companies and people with access to capital could borrow more and people who were savers basically earned no return on their money. And it created this huge transfer of wealth from Main Street to Wall Street. Now we're seeing the effects of this as we talked about with inflation and they're going, oh, well, I guess we need to control this inflation that we quote unquote didn't see coming. Um, And so now we've been wrong about everything else we're going to fix that and we're going to fix that by raising interest rates. So those interest rates they pulled down to zero, they're going to raise, the expectation is 25 basis points, 100 basis points is 1%, so 25 basis points is a quarter of a percent. So not a very big increase, uh, but that that's their first step and they'll let us know if they keep doing that. And that basically reverberates throughout the economy. So if you have any sort of adjustable rate debt, uh, credit card debt or a mortgage that has an adjustable rate component, you will be paying a higher price. Unfortunately, because there's so much cash sloshing around the system from all the uh, stimulus that's been done over the past couple of years, you probably won't see much of a bump in your savings rate. So you'll end up paying more, but you're not gonna end up getting more. And this is something that they're gonna do for sure, almost for sure tomorrow. Um, And then they'll forecast and let us know if they're gonna do it in the future. But there's a problem, Jesse Kelly. And the problem is if interest rates go up, we have to pay more interest on our $30 trillion in debt. And you know what that means? That means that that is going to go through the roof. Every 100 basis points or 1% increase in our national debt interest rate is another $300 billion in taxes that have to has to go to pay for stuff that we've already bought. So there's some constraint there. So will they let inflation run? Will they tank the economy? Will they make us pay more for our debt and pay more in taxes? It's the worst soap opera ever, as America turns. Carol Roth, thank you, ma'am. Always a pleasure. All right, we're going to talk to my friend Dave Reboy next. He's got a different take on Ukraine and Russia. But first, before we get to that, let's talk about health insurance, putting your money where your morals are, things like that. I know you have health insurance. I know you look around at the corporate world and you're disgusted by what you see. I am too. Just disgusted by all of it, the left-wing activism. You know there's a great health insurance company out there, right? Called OneShare Health, a faith-based organization. 5% of your monthly, when you go to, with, with, my, my, uh, with OneShare Health, goes to our veterans struggling with PTSD, Camp Hope Foundation, all those things. You need to start putting your money where your morals are. So do I. We have to be better about that. They have great coverage, whatever you need, vision, dental, everything. Go to my.onesharehealth.com slash Kelly. Promo code Jesse Kelly gets you 75 bucks off your enrollment fee. We'll be back. I'm trying to understand why you are trying your end game in Ukraine. You, you are not going there. You are not sending troops there. there. There will be no flight, no, no flight zone over Ukraine. 
And are you, will it be a fair assessment to say that you are pushing these guys to commit suicide, knowing that Russia has a superpower and eventually it will uh, capture the main cities, Kiev and Kharkiv and all the cities around there? What's the end game? Well, the end game is really a question for President Putin. We have, we have completely crushed his economy. Uh, we have provided military assistance, humanitarian assistance to the Ukrainians, enabling them to fight back for far longer uh, than the Russian leadership uh, anticipated. Uh, and again, he has to uh, he has to determine what the path forward looks for like for him. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Joining me now, a frequent guest on the show, obviously, Dave Reboy, my friend. I highly recommend you sign up for his substack called Late Republic Nonsense. He's also a senior fellow at Claremont Institute. Dave, what am I supposed to make of that whole exchange right there? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, and I remarked on Twitter when I saw it, that it was the first legitimate question that the, uh, that the White House has gotten on the subject of Ukraine and Russia, maybe for the last decade, which is, okay, what's the end game here? Uh, where are we where are we going with this and um, and and where you know what 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 does an accommodation with the Russian state and Vladimir Putin look like and um, to this point nobody I mean very pointedly uh, Jen Psaki did not answer she just said um, you know she just said you know the, the, the ball is in uh, the ball is in Putin's court well of course that's not an answer you know the correct answer should be um, what is it that we can uh, what is it that we can get from the Russians where they are satisfied and we are satisfied and we can sort of reset to zero and frankly take on China because our posture with regard to the Russians is to keep sending them into the arms of China, keep sending, keep, uh, is, to, is to keep creating a, a situation where more of the world's powers like, like India and Saudi Arabia um, abandon the United States and um, and, and sort of say this is this is too much trouble. You know what is the end game in Russia? What what do they want? And the answer for most of for most of Beltway Washington really for the last decade is we want to get rid of Putin. And they think exactly zero steps after that. I mean it reminds me a lot of the Iraq War where it's like okay we're going to get rid of Saddam. All right then what? And in it and as we saw from the. Um, uh, from the Iraq war, it seems like there was nobody at the State Department or the Pentagon or the White House that said, okay, what do we do once we win the war? Dave, okay, how how's the normal American, how are they supposed to unpack this? Because I have no problem with anything you just said. It is a dangerous situation. I can see it happening right in front of my eyes. The Saudis are going to line up with the Russians and line up with China, and we're going to have this t huge new group that we're going to be cut out of in the world. They're going to get rid of the dollar and everything else, and that's not good. But the normal American also, in his DNA, doesn't like Russia and doesn't like Vladimir Putin, and they don't like the fact that he's invading Ukraine. What's, how do we merge those two worlds? Sure. I mean, look, that's that's the that's the question of statecraft, which is obviously um, obviously we don't like Putin and Russia in Ukraine. Um, they need to, you know, they need to leave. The the, the hostilities need to end. Um, the question then is, what will it take for that to happen? Um, can you know, can Ukraine and Russia reach a reasonable accommodation? Um, frankly, based on, and I, you know, you know that I'm going to get accused of, of, of being, you know, pro-Russia here, but I think it's nonsense. Um, I'll say that the, um, 
the things that Russia has been demanding of Ukraine, namely, you know, staying neutral, staying out of NATO, and um, and uh, you know, allowing the Russians to keep the the, the breakaway Donbas uh, uh, regions, or allowing them to be independent, and allowing the Russians to keep Crimea. I mean, all those things are are. I think they're reasonable if your goal is to have a functioning Ukrainian state full of Ukrainians, you know, a sovereign state. Now, if your goal is, in fact, to have a Ukrainian state that joins NATO and the West, of course, that, you know, these things are non-starters. So at the end of the day, uh, Ukraine has to choose whether it wants NATO or whether it wants to kind of exist as a sovereign country. Now, we just saw yesterday that, or, or today, that Zelensky said, you know what, we're not going to choose NATO, which is one thing that brings him a step closer to, to reaching some kind of accommodation with um, uh, uh, with with Putin, with Russia. And um, I mean, this, this whole time, I think Putin's asks have been calibrated to be things that Ukraine could agree to on one hand, but the U.S. and NATO would find very uh, problematic. So in that respect, we almost had, uh, you know, the U.S. and 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 Western Europe sort of pushing uh, Ukraine into this situation, um, where you know I I think personally I think this war could have absolutely been avoided, but now that it's 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 done and we're seeing, you know, the horrific images and 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 terrible. I mean, look, all war is terrible, and uh, and we want it to end now, and we want it to end now, which means. You know, we, we we want to figure out a way to de-escalate the situation. We want to figure out a way to sort of reintegrate reintegrate Russia um, in order to halt some of these effects that you were just saying. You know, the 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 the, the petrodollar, um, you know, disappearing, being replaced by Chinese currency. Um, you know, the um, uh, you know again the alliance of of India and and uh, and and China with Russia. I mean, all of these things are kind of problems for the United States. That are far greater in magnitude to what's happening in Ukraine. Dave, I have this little video speaking of NATO and Ukraine. I have this video of Vice President Dome. Check this one out. So I will say what I know we all say, and I will say over and over again. The United States stands firmly with the Ukrainian people in defense of the NATO alliance. Ukraine is not part of NATO. Uh, there is, look, Ukraine, Russia aside, there is an alarming level of ineptitude at the highest levels of our government. And that goes beyond Dome or Joe Biden. I mean, CIA, FBI, DOJ, you name it. We have State Department, especially. We have some of the dumbest people in America. They now lead America. And I genuinely want to know your take on this, Dave, because you always have a fascinating take. How did that happen? We have 330 million people in the country. There's a lot of them, a lot of really smart people, a lot of thinkers. The dumbest people in this country lead the country. How did we get here? Oh, man, that's a long, that's a long story and a, and, a, and a terrible problem that we've had really for, you know, for generations. I mean, we're getting to the point where every successive generation is, is stupider and less capable to deal with the problems that we have than, than the prior one. And I mean, we've come we've come a long way, baby, as they say, uh, from you know from the days of um, you know from the days of kind of serious people running the show. 
And but you know what? The funny thing is, even even the serious people in the past had crazy and dumb ideas. I mean, remember before the Second World War, you had the entire international foreign policy consensus getting together and saying, you know what? We're going to outlaw war forever. And uh, huh. everybody huh. sat around and they cheered and they thought, hey, we've outlawed war forever. Who can oppose this? You know, and those were the those were, those were people far smarter than than Kamala Harris. Dave, all right. Finally, what's the NGO archipelago? I don't understand what these words mean. Right. So the NGO archipelago is something that I've been uh, it, it been kind of interested in for a long time. I call it that because it's an NGO is a non governmental organization that is funded primarily either through governments or big foundations. And uh, we can we can think of them in the United States as like nonprofits, but when they are overseas, um, they act more as um, as sort of political weapons of foreign policy than as just you know your normal uh, you know nonprofit you know, think tank or or whatever. And and uh, the NGO archipelago is an entire big constellation of these organizations and. They go from, you know, so-called anti-corruption organizations in Ukraine funded by George Soros and Paul Singer and the U.S. government and, uh, you know, and, and, and on and on, sort of people who have finan a financial stake in, in what's going on there. And Ukraine just happens to be almost like the world capital of these, um, of these NGOs. You have the NGO role in creating and fomenting the Arab Spring and color revolutions, meaning like organizations that come in and they say, hey, we're going to teach activists how to rabble-rouse. We're going to, I mean, this is the era, of, this is the foreign version of uh, Barack Obama's um, time as a community organizer. You know, in, in 2008, everybody laughed, you know, what's a community organizer? Well, this is a community organizer. This is Alinskyite um, organizing on a, on a mass scale as a tool of foreign policy. And this is what we saw with the Arab Spring. It's what we saw in color revolutions in Ukraine in 2014. Um, it's it's what we saw um, in in other places. And and um, and taken together, this constellation, this universe, this archipelago has tremendous has tremendous policy weight. Because what do they do? They appear on TV. They speak to journalists. They are journalists themselves. They're writing columns. They are um, speaking to uh, business leaders. They're speaking to politicians. They're making policy. So what you have is a bunch of people who are, who are very, very opinionated on this one subject, who, uh, who are going and they're sort of forming the decision-making universe on this particular subject. And, uh, and look, it's dangerous. I don't think necessarily these people are you know, necessarily evil or bad. Or I mean, some of them are, some of them aren't. But the point is, is that this universe creates its own reality, and um, and I think this universe has been tremendously uh, harmful to a decent uh, interest-based U.S.-Russia relationship for the last decade. Dave Reboy, I highly recommend Late Republic Nonsense. That's his Substack. Dave, thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. All right. We're not done yet. We got more. First, you know what time it is, right? Spring is upon us. And that means allergies are here.
the pollen is here. You get up in the morning, you go get in your car, and you see that film of pollen on there, and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to breathe again. Well, maybe that's true if you don't get an Eden Pure thunderstorm. I own three of them. Three of them. My producer for radio, Chris, just got a new cat. Look, it's his, it's his woman. But anyway, he just got a new cat. The cat is smelling it up. Litter boxes don't smell that well. Chris, plugged an Eden Pure thunderstorm right next to the litter box. Smell gone like that. It will clean your air. Odors. Things that cause your allergies to go poof. Viruses. Mold. I own three for a reason. Go to EdenPureDeals.com and use the code JESSE and you actually get a three-pack yourself for under $200. That's stealing. That's $200 off. EdenPureDeals.com, code JESSE. We'll be back. What has Liz Cheney talked about? Former President Trump, January 6th. Former President Trump, January 6th itself. Former President Trump, January 6th. Donald Trump. I'm very focused right now on my reelection and, and on the work of the select committee. And I can tell you that, that the single most important thing, though, is to ensure that, that Donald Trump is not the Republican nominee uh, and that he certainly mm -hmm. is uh, not anywhere close to the Oval Office ever again. Liz Cheney clearly doesn't know what being a representative means. She's not representing us. She's not representing Wyoming. She's not representing our values. Let's send her home to Virginia. Joining me now is that lady right there, primarying Liz Cheney in Wyoming, Harriet Hageman. Harriet, explain something to me. How's she been there for so long? Because Liz Cheney's awful. Well, she was elected here in 2016, and I think that what happened was that she pulled the wool over a lot of people's eyes in terms of who she was and what she intended to do when she went back to D.C. on our behalf. She just bought a house in Wyoming in 2012, came home and convinced an awful lot of people that she was a strong Wyomingite, that she was a strong conservative, and that she would be pushing forward with our agenda. But clearly, that clip tells you that she's not doing anything on behalf of Wyoming. We didn't send her to Washington, D.C. to make sure that Donald Trump never gets close to the Oval Office again. She's not the judge and the jury. The people get to decide who they vote for, and it's not for Liz Cheney to dictate what we're going to do. So. Uh, I would agree with you. I think that she is awful, and I think that that's being exposed in this campaign. Uh, can you explain this Donald Trump hatred? Now, now I don't care if people do hate Donald Trump. It doesn't matter to me at all. I'm not his brother. But why the focus by a congressman from, from Wyoming? Why this uber focus on Donald Trump? It's bizarre to me. Why even talk about him at all? I think that she and Nancy Pelosi have some kind of an unhealthy obsession with him. They're kind of like jilted girlfriends. I don't know quite what it is, although what I do, what, what I think happened was that Liz Cheney realized that uh, it was either her or that were the Donald Trump faction of the party. 
And I think the way that I describe people like Liz Cheney and even Mitt Romney, who held a fundraiser for her yesterday, they're the manage the decline party. And they have led us down a path for a long, long time where whenever they've gotten into power, they've just simply protected the status quo. They've never tried to, to roll back the horrible policies from the Democrats. They're part of the uniparty. And I think that what you see are the elitists who have been in Washington, D.C. for a long, long time. And they believe that they should be the ones that, that can dictate our lives and tell us what to do and pat us on the heads and spend lots and lots and lots of money and go to their cocktail parties. And Donald Trump came in and he started breaking their toys and they didn't like that. And they're going to make him pay and they're going to make everybody who supports him pay. But the fact is, I'm at Amer I, I believe in the America First agenda. I believe in what Donald Trump did in terms of uh, securing the border, energy independence, regulatory reform, all of the things that he did to make our lives better and to actually strengthen America. But that's not the agenda that Liz Cheney or Nancy Pelosi follow. And frankly, she's deflecting the attention from the failures of the current administration. And again, she's not doing what Wyoming sent her to Congress to do. Speaking of breaking their toys, here's a little something about Liz Cheney and war. America cannot defend and maintain our own freedom and security uh, if we think that we're going to simply withdraw from the world and not lead. You know, we are watching today the brutality of Vladimir Putin uh, as he attempts to invade a democratic, uh, sovereign nation. And anyone who thinks that U.S. freedom and security is going to be maintained if we take a step back and don't lead, you simply need to look at what's happening in Ukraine to recognize uh, that, that those who fill the void when the U.S. steps away uh, are people like the Russians, like the Chinese, like the Iranians. Uh, and so the idea that, that the world will be safe and that America will be able to be safe and free uh, with an isolationist approach is wrong. Okay. <laughs> You mentioned Trump and the, the rift between those two factions. I can't help but feel like Trump's foreign policy is a major, major part of that. A lot of people have gotten really, really rich for a lot of years off of America being at war all the time. Do you think that's part of the huge rift between the Cheneys and the Trumps? Well, I absolutely think that's part of it. And I also think the fact that he exposed the Cheneys and the Bushes and for, for being the elitists who think that they should, again, really dictate and control what goes on in this country. The problem, I think, that with Liz Cheney is that she doesn't understand the nuances and she refers to being isolationist. I don't think anybody, even President Trump, talked about being isolationist. But what he did was he actually exuded strength and he made clear to other countries that he wasn't going to tolerate their bad behavior. And so they didn't do those kinds of things while he was president. I think it's clear that the reason we're seeing, seeing the situation that we are on the international stage right now is because of the failures of the Biden administration and their failure in terms of energy policy. Every single thing that we're addressing right now is because of failed energy policy, whether it's inflation, the increase in gas prices, the increase in food prices, the increases in, in clothing, the, the, the problems with the supply chain, what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, who has empowered Russia to invade Ukraine? It's bad energy policies. We filled uh, uh, Putin's coffers. We have been spending massive amounts of money because of the, the decision by this administration to stop the XL pipeline, to put a moratorium on any permits on federal lands for oil and gas development in the United States. Uh, the European countries have absolutely abdicated their responsibilities to their citizens by becoming dependent upon the oil and gas provided by, by Russia. So it's the Western world that is 
has kind of taken a collective suicide approach because of the Green New Deal and the radical environmental policies that are being implemented that have empowered Putin. So again, the nuances are what she misses. She looks at this as purely a, from, a, from a war stance and, and what do we need to do to, to provide more military equipment and bolster the military industrial complex. I look at this from the standpoint of not isolationism, but if you're independent, whether it's food independent or energy independent, you're going to be a lot less vulnerable to dictators like Putin or the people in Iran or Venezuela or anywhere else. Right now, this administration is going to these dictators with their hands out saying, please, please, please give me more oil and gas because my people need it. We don't need to be importing from Venezuela, Iran, and Russia. We have plenty right here in the United States. Wyoming is the largest coal producer. We have massive amounts of oil and gas reserves. We have the ability to be entirely energy independent, but it's the failed policies of people like the Biden administration, the Democrats, and even this military industrial complex that wants us to be at war on the international stage so that they can continue to fill their, their billfolds, continue to fill their bank accounts. And I disagree with that. Again, I think there are more nuances here than she's willing to admit. And I think we need to look at it from the standpoint of what is in the best interest of the United States. Let's put America first. Harriet, thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you very much, Jesse. All right. We have Lighten the Mood next. Isn't grilling the best? Hang on. People ask, who does the cooking in my house? And obviously the wife does most of the cooking. If we're talking eggs, you know, breakfast, my thing. As everyone knows, if it's burger night, clearly my thing. But for the most part, the wife handles all the cooking. Unless, unless someone has to use the grill. I, I don't pretend to be some pit master or some master chef, but I know my way around the grill. Wife, not so much. I say that's... I say that's a man's area. I think you'll say the same thing after you watch this video on Lighten the Mood. <laughs> that sucks. <sighs> All right. I'll see you tomorrow.